My guest today is Camila Dos Santos, a researcher at Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory in the New York State, who studies a fascinating subject, the inner life of human mammary glands, more commonly referred to as breasts. If you think about it, female mammary glands are truly amazing organs. Most other organs in the body pretty much do the same thing throughout life. The heart pumps blood, the kidneys filter out toxins, the stomach digests food, but the female mammary glands undergo massive transformations more than once. At birth, they're similar in both genders, just little patches of the mammary epithelial tissue. But when puberty hits, the female glands transform and develop special internal structures to produce milk in the future. When babies are born, the glands expand and produce milk. And when babies are weaned, the glands shrink back, often repeating this process again. In many women, these glands remain in a healthy homeostasis throughout life. But in others, deadly tumors will form for reasons science still doesn't fully understand. Camila Dos Santos studies the complex mechanisms behind these processes. I am Lina Zeldovich, frequent contributor to Leaves.org and guest host of today's episode of Making Sense of Science. Camilla, welcome to the Leaves podcast. We're really glad to have you here. Thank you very much. So I did a little bit of research and it looks like human mammary glands, also known as breasts, are truly amazing organs. Most other organs in the body pretty much do the same thing throughout life. The heart pumps blood more or less the same way. The kidneys filter out toxins more or less the same way. The stomach and liver carry out their functions more or less the same way. But the female memory glands, they undergo these massive transformations and often multiple times. At birth, this you know, memory glands are similar in both genders. And then everything changes when the puberty hits. So what I'm really curious to hear about what happens and how does it work and how does the body know to do that? Right. No, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, memory gland development is this just fascinating kind of um, a synchronized event that it relies on whole body systemic alterations. So you could really say that every single developmental stage of the memory gland requires change to the physiological state of a, a female um, in response to the hormones that arise at the teen years in, um, that we define as puberty, the breast cells, they not only start growing more rapidly, but they become more specialized too. And it's a a specialization that is kind of preparing the tissue for one function, which is to make milk uh, during pregnancy, but more importantly, after the pup, the baby's born to sustain the offspring. In a way that the breast develops in response to um, pubescent hormones, to the hormones that are doing um, in a woman, in a female body during puberty, we could make an analogy to how a tree develops. So you have branches that develop. Those branches are full of cells that one day they will be producing milk. Um, and, and, and it grows through throughout the tissue of the breast. Those branches, they carry on different types of breast cells. You have the stem cells 
that there are more immature cells of the body and they have the ability to continue to divide and make more of selves. That's what we call self-renewal. So they keep on dividing and they make more of themselves, but they also provide um, an abundance of other cell types that are more differentiated. So those are the ones that are more specialized. So you could have the myoepithelial cells, which are pretty much the working force of the breast. Myoepithelial cells, they define the basement membrane of the ductus structure. And in response to pregnancy, they become the muscle of the breast that contracts in response to the oxytocin that is released um, from during um, nursing of the offspring. So it sounds like there is a system of ducts that uh, the female body builds within the breast for milk production, right? Yes. Yeah. And that that tree, like you mentioned, it, the structure of it um, is laid down in, during teenagehood, right? Yes. And then it fully blooms in pregnancy, then, you know, the tree itself, right? Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like, if, it's like a, a series of little tunnels that develop in the breast, right? In the inner side of those tunnels, that's where the breast cells will secrete the milk droplets that will then be delivered to the offspring. The outside of the ductos are going to provide this mechanical force that will squeeze the milk from the cells that produce the milk. Um, and all of that, again, so during pu puberty, all that structure is put into place. But the cells really start working as functional cells in response to the hormones that are present during pregnancy. So increased levels of estrogen, increased levels of progesterone, increased levels of prolactin really turn breast cells into mini milk factories and again their whole their main role in the body is to expand to grow in numbers so that the more you have more of milk producing cells you will have in the body and then that increases uh, uh, milk input or output uh, during nursing mm -hmm. so how do these cells know when to actually start producing milk? You know, like I had my kids and I know you had yours. And it's just such a miraculous moment. So the baby is born and you're like, well, where is that milk? Like, is it like actually going to come? Is it going to happen? How's it going to work? And then suddenly it's working. You're like, ah, I don't know. For me, it was just such a mind boggling thing. It's like, how does it all happen? No, you, you, you absolutely. Again, it's all. So we spoke about puberty. The, the change in the whole body in response to puberty, right? And then we, we spoke about pregnancy, the change in the whole body that uh, alters body function and hormones that affect uh, the breast, right? Um, the lactation is the same. When a woman has uh, gives birth, there's kind of a switch in the whole body physiology of a woman as well. And in response to delivery of the baby, plus suckling that the baby produces, your brain will release a hormone that we call oxytocin. And oxytocin 
we pretty much work on the myoepithelial cells, the cells that are outside of those tunnel-like structures. And those, uh, by acting on those cells, those cells contract and release the milk that is being stored inside of breast cells um, that are inside of the ductile structure. So it's again, it's all about changes in your whole body physiology, right? So until, uh, this is what, you know, fun fact, that's why, for example, women that have natural births, they milk start secreting much more, much faster than women that had C-sections. And it's because the whole process of delivering a baby, it's sending messages to your brain that change the physiology of your body that are important for the milk down. So the oxytocin, which we all kind of, you know, heard the name, but that is that chemical messenger that goes to the cells in your breast and tells them, well, the time is now. Absolutely. That is correct. Oxytocin is an amazing chemical that you have in your body it has many other functions, but without it, you will not be able to secrete milk. You will probably, your cells will be storing milk to some extent, will be producing milk to some extent, but without the chemical properties of the oxytocin working on breast cells, there is no milk let down. I see. So what happens when the baby is weaned? That's tree had to shrivel i think you know as far as i know the cell you know this all these cells that the body built to nourish the baby essentially commit suicide they die out so how does the body know to do that and how does the body clean up afterwards they do so again that goes to the fourth uh, whole body physiological change that a woman's body goes through related to memory gland development um when a woman stops nursing so you have a decreasing amount of oxytocin that you have being secreted into your body. There is a decrease in the amount of prolactin. Prolactin is the milk-producing hormone. That it's a chemical property thing that it acts on the breast cells. In response to the to the decrease of those factors in your body, the 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 breast cells they start filling up with milk because you know, they start slowing down production, but there's not let it down outside of them anymore. And even when this, the cells sense that they are accumulating too much milk inside of themselves, they start, they undergo a process that we call autophagy. So they start self-eating themselves. And that process um, triggers uh, a, a immune infiltration um, kind of response. So immune cells that are circulating, like they're leaving side of the breast tissue, they sense that there is cell death happening and they come into the tissue to clear out the dead cells. So that's why um, so uh, some women, sometimes they stop nursing for two days and they can go back to nursing again. But some women stop nursing for like a week and all of a sudden, they lose the, the ability to continue to produce milk. And that's what we call reversible versus irreversible. So in the first time, some cells start, start dying, but it's not enough to call in the immune system. So when the baby starts nursing again, all those signals 
of milk production and cell contraction come back. However, if too many cells have already died and you have an avalanche of immune cells coming to the breast, then the tissues start clear out of those very specialized kind of cells. And then it's very, very hard to go back in, um, and have those cells uh, being resynthesized and producing milk again. I see. And when you say the immune cells, um, I think, you know, we typically think of like B cells and T cells. Are those the same cells or are they different? So, uh, so in general, you find B cells in the breast, you find T cells in the breast, you find, you know, the macro, the, the leukocytes on the breast, uh, so that they fight infections. Um, you also find them in the breast. We call them breast resident immune cells. So in general, they are the same ones that you have in your circulation in terms of identity, but because they live inside of the breast tissue, they have special functions that that they, they, they respond a little bit different to the signals that you have in the breast as you would as other cells that are not in the breast would. So you do have T cells, you do have B cells, you do have the leukocytes, um, but they just act a little differently because their environment that they leave is the breast, not the blood. I see. So which one actually you know, clean up and like you know, eat the cells that are dying? The first kind of cells that comes to the breast, they're called leukocytes. So we have two specific types of it, neutrophils and macrophages. So those are the cells that if you go to a doctor and you have some sort of infection and you do a blood test, those are the cells that are going to be high in your blood because those are they fight infection. They remove foreign body. And even though breast cells that make milk are not foreigner, but because they are dying, those are the first cells that come to um, phagocytose. So they then engulf the, the dying breast cells to remove them from the breast. Then you have the T cells. And the T cells come, some T cells, that they, they, they have this memory, right? They, they create this memory of exposure to uh, life events, but some T cells can also kill. So they, then you could have the T cells that do the killing. So, and, and um, in a mouse breast, that happens for about 10 days. In a human breast, that can happen anytime, that, that can last anytime from six months to two years and a half. This whole remodeling of the breast can, it can take up to, from six months to two years and a half, and that depends on the moment genetics, how many times they, they have nursed before, how long was nursing happening there. So it, it, it can really um, take a long time for the whole process to stop. Wow. And there I thought it takes maybe a month. And you're telling me it takes years in humans. Wow. Yes. And it's not uncommon for you to hear women saying that they stop nursing, you know, for six months. And then all of a sudden, the breast spits out some milk, right? Um, and it's again, it's because the, the, the process of clearing the tissue and the process of reconstruction the tissue, it, 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 it can be very timely. I see. Well, so here's the million dollar question. How do you study this process? Is it impossible to peek inside the breasts? Um, but, you know, can you maybe that in a dish? 
Yes, we can. So for many, many years, uh, the process of pregnancy development was not very well, it wasn't feasible to do that in cells, cell lines, right? The cells that grow on a, on a, on a plastic dish. Uh, but for the past several years, we have been using um, kind of a tissue in a dish strategies. We call them organoids. So um, you can virtually derive organoids from most tissues in your body. Uh, in terms of uh, breast, what we do, we, we break the tissues into little pieces and we put them to grow in a three-dimensional kind of dome. And by providing them with this three-dimensional dome, you kind of recreate a lot of the stiffness the breast has normally and a lot of the cell-to-cell -cell communication the breast cells have with each other. Um, we have optimized those conditions, those uh, organs, mini organs in a dish conditions to produce milk in a dish. So we can... Um, collect breast tissue from a mouse, put it in a dish. We can collect tissue from a rat, put it in a dish, culture them with a combination of pregnancy hormones. We can induce them to develop uh, in response to pregnancy hormones, very similarly to what we see in the mouse. But the mouse, again, um, we can always go to an animal, right, and collect their tissue and study their cells freshly isolated. The, 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 the challenge here is to understand how breast develop happens in humans, right? Um, it's, actually, it's not only not ethical, but it's actually very risky to think about collecting breast biopsies of women that are pregnant uh, because that itself, the, the whole... Um, reaction to the biopsy could, you know, induce a, you know, a termina termination of the pregnancy. Wow, that's 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 a really, you know, massive complications. Yeah. Right. So what do you do? So what we have been doing, we have been working with uh, 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 hospitals uh, around the lab to collect breast tissue that are donated uh, by women that are undergoing cosmetic surgery. So they are undergoing normal uh, breast reductions. So the amount of tissue that it's collected is quite substantial. We can break that tissue into little pieces and derive those organoid cultures from them. And then here we can grow them with conditions that will induce milk production in a dish. And then we can draw parallels that uh, for um, human breast development that maybe then, that then we can test in vivo in a mouse. Hmm. That's really interesting. So it sounds like this little, you know, pieces that you described, the organoids, they are like little windows into organs. And by looking at them and what they do in a dish, you can actually really reconstruct these processes that for decades were not possible to reconstruct. Right, right. And to, be in the, to bring an, an additional level of fascination to what the organoids can allow us to do, Right. Um, from a perspective of a woman that is pregnant, again, it takes what, six to eight weeks to sometimes even realize that you're pregnant. Right. And th during those six to eight weeks, your hormones are already working. They are increasing. Thus, change to the breast are already in place. Right. So in the dish, 
we can time that to the day, to the hour, to the minute. So we can ask those questions. What are the first more immediate chains in response to those pregnancy hormones? What does it do to, to the DNA of those cells and how the DNA is turned on and turning off genes? How is that influencing cell identity? And then you can ask the more long-term questions, right? What is how is that a given cell type is sustained at its identity and can continue to produce milk? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I even read in uh, some uh, research literature that you know, some, some people have already you know, built this human organoids in addition, you know, they fed them all the appropriate hormones and they could see how the cells produce milk. Like, like they sort of like pump out these tiny little droplets. And yeah, and they also, I think I even remember reading that the organoids change, um, like they stop being transparent. Yes. Uh, right. Yeah. Because the milk is not transparent. You can like watch all of this happening yeah. in real life. Yeah. yeah. So the light does not go through the milk mm-hmm. uh, li- lipids, right? The, the milk droplets. So you start seeing that the organoids, they turn a little bit turbid. Um, and it's because they're accumulating all those uh, properties. Mm-hmm. Um, what questions are uh, you you're hoping to answer was that, um, I mean, can this somehow this information help women lactate better? Yeah, things like that. Yeah, so so there are many fold of questions that we are interested from addressing just, you know, by using our basic uh, research approach. Um, women that are pregnant uh, later on in life, they are more likely to require medical intervention to help lactation, for example. Um, and, uh, you know, currently we have um, kind of uh, old, uh, old kind of tricks that we have been using to increase milk production. So there are certain teas that people ask you to drink, right? There's the massaging. So there's a lot of little tricks. What we wanted to understand is why, you know, the fundamental biological uh, question behind inefficient milk production. Why is that in place? You know, is, 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 is it because the cells are not behaving properly? You change the identity of the cells. Um, are they being more or less attacked by the immune system? And we believe that understanding that, right, um, we can provide, you know, maybe early on, identify women across different ages that will have problems lactating. For example, you know, instead of just waiting at the time that a woman's so overwhelmed with not sleeping and having the baby and, you know, body aches all over after giving birth, and then you realize that you have one more problem to think about. Um, so that's 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 one of them. Uh, I would be cautious to say that we are looking for a drug that somebody can take and improves milk production, because if we do identify a molecule, a drug, a treatment that improves milk production, we also need to make sure 
that that substance that the woman would be putting inside of her body, it's not going to be harmful to the baby. Like we pass on a lot of nutrients and cells from the mother's milk to the baby. So it's very important to have a very comprehensive kind of research line that can combine benefits from both sides, which is something that we foresee doing as well, um, going through as we think about the potential medical interventions that our study can uh, provide in terms of lactation itself. I see. Okay, very interesting. I can, I can even like um, go a li- even a little bit more um, philosophical here and provocative, right? Um, so we are experiencing a formula milk shortage. Right, yeah, formula milk shortage, right? yes. Uh, you know, one cannot rule it out that understanding what we do in, would provide an ability to scale that up so that we could be making synthesized milk as we make, you know, synthesized protein to make our impossible burgers, right? Again, this is all very, very far-reaching possibilities, Um, something that we are not even considered to this moment, but, but as technology progresses, as the need increases, those are always spaces that one could be using the ability to milk to bridge organoids and pregnancy hormones. Wow, that is so interesting. Um, so there is also a connection between pregnancies, lactating, and cancer. I think one big breast cancer culprit that we all know is that BRCA gene. Uh, but I think there might be some others. So. What do we know about that and what goes wrong at that cellular level where the cells suddenly turn against you? The cells have been like working your whole life, right? So you like, you know, feed your children and um, suddenly, you know, they turn against you. Yeah, no, it's a very important question and that we are very, very interested too. So uh, breast cancer has many risk factors, Genetic mutations, as you mentioned, are uh, play a big role. And we are talking here about, you know, in the case of the BRCA gene, so all of us have the BRCA gene, but alterations to the DNA sequence of the BRCA gene incre- can increase predisposition to develop breast cancer. BRCA1, unfortunately, is not the only one. There are many other genes that have been associated to... DNA change to those genes and cancer development. Aging, menopause, those are all kind of risk factors for uh, breast cancer, and so does pregnancy. So uh, the same models and the same approaches that we use to understand lactation and breast development, we can apply to understand the role of pregnancy on either increasing or decreasing the risk of breast cancer. Yeah, I think I remember reading some really interesting numbers. You know, the, something about that women who get pregnant for the first time before they're 25 have a 30% decrease in breast cancer incidence. Uh, but then there is, on the contrary, you know, women who are pregnant past 38 actually have an increase 
you know, in, in developing aggressive cancer. So how does that work and, and why? Yeah. So, so, so if I could just uh, break it down, how pregnancy influenced the risk of breast cancer. So first of all, um, independently of age, of pregnancy, women that give birth, all women, immediately after giving birth and up to five years after giving birth, at a risk are at a risk to develop breast cancer. Why? So as you can imagine, breast tissue is expanding during pregnancy, right? Mutations could be acquired, DNA mutations could be acquired by those breast cells. And some of those mutations could give the cells the benefit of an uncontrollable growth. That when after lactation and after um, doing this part of uh, breast reconstruction, those cells, instead of regressing, they could keep on growing. There's, there's a lot of uh, evidence suggesting, too, that the environment of the breast during this stage of reconstruction can actually help an abnormal cell to develop into cancer in a much... Um, uh, um, beneficial kind of way that if there was no reconstruction, put it in place. So we uh, um, really suggesting that immediately after pregnancy and lactation, all women are at risk, right? So aside the pregnancy, women that are pregnant, uh, aside this like immediate um, risk of, of cancer, um, related to after pregnancy, women that are uh, pregnant before the age of 20 to 25 years old have a decrease on the amount, a decrease on the uh, risk of breast cancer. And the hypothesis here is that um, a pregnancy matures the cells because they are pushing the cells to become more specialized. And the specialized cells, because they have a limited lifespan, they die, it's more likely that they die before they turn into cancer. Oh, so it's almost like a revital, it has a pregnancy has like a revitalizing effect on the, on the breast. It almost sounds like. So revitalizing gives you the idea that it makes you younger. It's actually the opposite. So if you think that the cell, as a given cell can divide 10 times, a pregnancy pushes that to five times because they, there's more of renewal of the breast tissue. Those cells are on their way much faster because they have gone through half of their lifespan, so they're less likely to develop into cancer. On the opposite side, right, women that are pregnant after the age of 40 have an increased predisposition to develop breast cancer. And the idea here is because those cells were kept at an immature stage much longer. Like they have a kind of full-on uh, lifespan for divisions. But because they have divided more times, problems doing division that led to DNA alterations could, again, give cells property of uncontrollable growth. Uh, this is just like not considering other aspects to whole body physiology that it you know that happens during aging 
Your immune system is not working as efficiently as it did before. The levels of hormones at the age of 40, women are going through perimenopause, right? So you have months that your hormones are sky high and you feel good about yourself, but then you have months that your hormones are very low and you feel very moody or, you know, not with a lot of energy. Those kind of up and down fluctuations can also play a role in breast health as well. So just to boil it down, like the three different aspects that pregnancy can influence the uh, risk of breast cancer. Gotcha. Wow. Fascinating. Um, so with organoids, can these structures somehow better inform us how to treat cancer, breast cancer more efficiently? Because they sound like a very convenient structures that you can stick in a dish and try all kinds of therapies on them, you know, harsh therapies and, and all kinds of things that you can't really try on a human. But once you know what works, you can think of encapsulating them into, you know, some other substances so they don't damage the body, but would go directly to the tumor. So how helpful are these organoids to science? No, very helpful. I think that for many, many decades now, we are talking about personalized medicine when it comes to cancer treatment. And this is one of the opportunities that organoids are bringing to us scientists, right? Um, which is to have patients donating their breast cancer tissue to research, um, and having those, once we establish those cultures, we can put them through high throughput drug screens that would indicate, um, you know, the treatments that would better kill the cancer cells. Now we have the ability with single cell technology, not only to understand which cells are being killed by certain types of treatments, but the cells but also the cells that are not killed by the treatment, which have the potential to become metastatic disease and disease relapse, treatment resistant, which it's, it's, a, it's a big uh, problem um, and concern for cancer patients. So I've, uh, many, um, you know, um, there's this, this, this idea, this goal, this ambition that hospitals at certain point they will be able to capitalize that as part of cancer treatment, right? Have a pipeline that, and some of them, you know, have it already in place that you have the breast tissue or the cancer tissue, you screen through the drugs, you select it from that, you start the patient treatment with that. But that doesn't mean that it's done. You continue to look at those cells, you see which cells will grow in spite of the treatment. And then you go and targeted those uh, secondary growths that could uh, come back as, as re disease resistant. Wow, that is totally fascinating. And it's even, I think, even more fascinating that it's actually not that far away. Like we're not talking about 50 years. I think we're talking closer, sooner. I hope so. To have such an automated place like that, uh, you know, system like that in place, it requires expertise. It requires funding. Right? It requires to have all this uh, financial and uh, expertise uh, structure in place to get this going. Um, and I think that if as 
centers become more specialized to target specific types of cancers, I think that that could be possible. I agree with you, not in 50 years, uh, maybe not in five years, but you know, 10, 15 years could be here. Wow. Well, that sounds very hopeful. Um, and um, I definitely look forward to the day when this will be a standard treatment um, because um, I think it's kind of an every woman's mind. It's a fairly common you know, type of cancer. And as we all get older, we all start thinking about it. Um, well, I thank you so much for joining us today and uh, taking us in, in, in on this insider trip into this fascinating world of uh, human memory glands. Um, um, again, yeah, thank you so much. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Making Sense of Science podcast. If you like the show and you want to hear more from the best thinkers of our time to help make sense of the latest health innovations and their impact on our rapidly changing world, please hit the follow button. And in the meantime, please visit our online magazine at leaps.org where you can read in-depth articles examining health breakthroughs through the lens of rational optimism. Enjoy the leaps.org platform, and I hope you take care. Until next time.